attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive 3 until 6 p.m. weekdays on the Sports Hub. I love it. It's brilliant. I forgot my glasses at home today, so things could get weird over the next couple of hours, especially when I have to read stuff. But since it's the last week of the college basketball regular season, I think it's time to begin evaluating player of the year candidates and thinking about all ACC teams. And I don't know whether this is a hot take or not, but I still think Zion Williamson should be the front runner to win national player of the year. He hasn't played the last two weeks. We still don't know if he's going to face Wake Forest later on tonight. But he's been the most outstanding player in college basketball. I feel the way about college basketball, or really any sport, MVP, player of the year, most outstanding player, I feel the same way about that in sports than I do movies. The best movie is often the most memorable one. This year, I thought A Star is Born should have won Best Picture. You're not going to remember five years from now, Green Book or Roma, which was seen to be another favorite. You will remember Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. That's probably what's going to stick out. And to college basketball this year, you're not going to remember Grant Williams over Zion Williamson. I'll tell you who's not going to stand out over Zion. Cassius Winston from Michigan State, who's an excellent player. Don't get me wrong. He's going to be in consideration. Zion has been the most outstanding player for the entire season. Many of these guys have missed some games. Zion's just missing them the last couple weeks of the regular season. And I don't think that should damage what he's built in the first couple of months. He leads the ACC in field goal percentage. Shooting a little bit south of 70% from the field. Nobody in the country averages both more points and rebounds per game than Zion does in the Power Five. There's only two players nationally that could say they have more rebounds and more points per game than Zion does. Mike Dom who's a great player from South Dakota State and has been that for years, and some guy from CSU Northridge. He should win ACC Player of the Year no matter if he returns or not. I feel like he's not going to win National Player of the Year if he doesn't return this week. That sounds crass. It sounds unfair, but that's kind of the way I feel about it. Voters remember what you did for me lately. Just look at say, the Heisman Trophy race last year with Kyler Murray. Everybody thought Tua Tungavoyola was going to win the the Heisman. But then the last couple of weeks happen. He gets banged up. He gets replaced by Jalen Hurts. I thought Tua had a better year than Kyler Murray did. I thought Tua should have won the award. Kyler did because he was stronger down the stretch. What did you do for me lately? Did, did, did you do it at the last opportun, opportune moment? Did you leave a lasting impression on the people who vote for this? And Zion 
him being on the sideline for two weeks and missing the last three games for the Blue Devils, it it's going to affect the perception. I think he's going to be back before the end of the regular season. But if he doesn't, I still think he should be ACC Player of the Year. And if I was voting for it today, he would be my National Player of the Year. Other candidates, Grant Williams, Cassius Winston, Rui Hachimura from Gonzaga. Those are the ones that stick out. And oh yeah, his teammate R.J. Barrett. This was really a great mid-major year too. A lot of guys. John Morant from Murray State. That's the guy who gets the most attention. But I think Mike Dom, what he's done the last two years, probably better than what anybody in college basketball has done statistically. Only problem is he plays for the Jacks of South Dakota State. Then you look in the top 25, John Morant, Murray State isn't going to be a team you really think much about this month. You will hear a lot about John Morant when we get close to the NBA draft, but C.J. Massenburg of Buffalo, he's been their best player all year long. Caleb Martin, that's a name that should ring some bells. He's been great for Nevada this entire season, two teams in the top 25. So I really believe Zion should be the front runner right now for National Player of the Year and should be, under any circumstances, the ACC National Player of the Year. If you have thoughts on the subject, 336-777-1600, your way to chime in on the program, or you could simply tweet us at SportsUpTriant. Desmond Johnson is taking your calls today. The Drive is broadcast live from the law offices of Timothy D. Wellborn Studios. They specialize in workers' comp, social security, disability, and personal injury. You can visit them online at timwellborn.com. You'll know when you need us. Des, I'm having difficulty seeing you in the other room. (laughs) There's just a lot of squinting that's going on. It's kind of funny. That's going to lead to some interesting things when I have to read stuff. But I forgot my glasses today. You're a pro. You'll handle it. You'll be fine. We'll try. Total faith in you. Um, Just uh, kind of piggybacking off of your comments, I... I agree um, in terms of Zion being the for, the front runner for Player of the Year. Uh, where we disagree is I think he's going to win it anyway, and the reason why is because of what's happened to Duke since he's been gone. I don't think he has to play a regular season game to win it at this point. Um, like you said yesterday, what they're favored overweight tonight by what twenty nine or something crazy twenty seven and a half. That's without Zion. So I mean, I, well, I think maybe Vegas knows something. What they, you think Zion's coming back tonight? It's his, it's his last game at Duke. I don't think that matters as much as it would to I somebody that's been there longer him. than a year, you know? And I think it would matter more to him to be healthy to play in the NCAA tournament than it would to be playing at Cameron versus Wake in the last, home, the quote-unquote senior night for these freshmen or whatever. I'm refreshing I know my email here. Every single game, before the game, we get a notification whether Zion's in or out, yeah. and we haven't gotten anything yet. Remember what I said two weeks ago? I didn't think he was going to play again the rest of this regular season. And He if, will. If he doesn't play tonight, he's not going to play Saturday. What? Yeah. I, as a matter of fact, if he, he will be back for the Chapel Hill game. I think if he doesn't he play tonight. He will be back for that. Because I was thinking about it driving in here today. If he doesn't play today, which would be a tune-up for, for Carolina, because you don't want to just throw him out there for 40 minutes against Carolina and I play think, in two weeks. I think he's going to play against North Carolina no matter what. I've seen people say, oh, I wish he could play like 15 minutes or something tonight. That will do nothing. And that will actually maybe hamper his injury more than it would keeping him out an extra game as a Well, I don't think it's an injury anymore. I think... He, if he's on the floor, he's 100%. Coach K made that clear on Saturday. We don't really have a whole lot to, to go off of, though, except for those words. Well, I they've mean, been updating us 
every single game right. in a way that nobody does. Well, they did the same thing for Kyrie Irving. I mean, it felt like he was day-to-day well, the entire Kyrie season. Kyrie Irving, we, we all had a pretty good idea that he was going to sit the rest of that regular season. No, not until, it's a little not bit until different. It was, not until he was out for a good period of time. I mean, there was a large contingent that was holding on to him coming back at any moment. I kind of feel that with Zion now, but it doesn't make sense to – it really doesn't make sense to bring him back tonight. They could be awake without him, to be honest. I'd rather – Air on the side of caution. If he's healthy and he wants to play, he should play. That's the way I feel about it. He's a player. He wants to be out there. This is his last opportunity to play college basketball at home at one of the most uh, storied venues in college basketball. So we we don't over. I think we try to protect these guys and put them in bubble wrap way too much. If Zion is healthy enough to play, I expect Coach K to put him in and let him play. So you would play Zion at, say, 75% tonight no. versus Wake? No. I mean, My understanding is he probably could have played already. If okay. the last week or so. He probably could have played a week ago against Virginia Tech. He probably could have. But they want to make sure he's 100%. This is a great A sprain. It takes one to two weeks for this thing to recover. Bagley had the same thing last year. Right. He missed four it's games. It's been 13 days. Yeah, he missed four games last year. So, it's I mean, been 13 days. I, if, if, if they're as cautious as they've claimed to be, you know, with this injury, there's really no reason to play him tonight. I would save him for Saturday. No, I'm saying that I know is. he wants to play. I'm saying That's if not he wants to play, you should let the player play. I would still, if, if I'm K, I, I'm looking ahead to no, March. If I'm K, I understand how precious be, this time is and how you're going to look back on it and say, when was the last time I played in Cameron? Oh, when I blew my shoe out on national TV, that's the last time I stepped floor at Cameron. So that's gonna, it. So you're going to give him that experience and run the risk of him maybe taking yes, that that, uh, that knee even further? Yes. Stop putting him in bubble wrap. Players play. I'm if not he's healthy, him in any kind of if wrap. he's healthy, <laughs> let him play. Now, I mean, how crazy are we getting here? Trying to protect these guys. That's I'm the, sorry. Let that's them what comes, play. That's what comes with it when you're a one and done and you're projected number one pick in the NFL. I mean, the NBA draft, and you've got a possible he's going to be your shoe deal. Coming. Okay, I'm glad you bring this up yeah. because people have been bringing this up to me the last couple of weeks. Zion should say because what's the value of him playing at Duke? What's the value at this point? He still has a lot to gain. He still does. He's not a perfect player. He's not a perfect prospect. There's so some value to finishing what you start. There's some value playing for what some argue to be the greatest college basketball coach ever. He has the most wins. There's some value to that. On top of that, there's the marketing side of it. Zion would not have, Zion's probably going to get the biggest shoe deal anybody's ever gotten coming into the NBA draft. But he would not have gotten that if it wasn't for Duke. He would not have gotten that if he wasn't in college basketball. I don't care how many Instagram followers you got. Zion Williamson, there's a value playing in March. There's a value playing against the Tar Heels. And if you are healthy enough to play, you should be able to do so. And when it comes to injury, what's really the downside here? What is the worst possible thing that could happen to Zion Williamson on a basketball court that's going to prevent him from being the number one pick? Joel Embiid was on a roster with Andrew Wiggins, and he was hurt. For much of that season against Kansas, still the number three pick. Zion is viewed as one of the can't-miss prospects, one of the biggest can't-miss prospects we've seen coming into the NBA draft since LeBron James. There is nothing that could happen to Zion Williamson that will prevent him from being the number one pick. So it is lunacy to me. I mean, 
Joel Embiid missed his entire rookie season, and the Sixers would do that again. No doubt about it if they had the option. Him missing his rookie year, having him an entire season. Missing him an entire season. They would do that move 10 times out of 10, and I feel like nothing is going to stop whoever has the number one pick from taking Zion Williamson. So, yes, what do you have to lose if you're Zion? You're, Nothing. You're 110% correct, but that's not what I said to do. I didn't, t- I didn't say to sit him for the rest of the year. I said to sit him for tonight. Sit him for Wake Forest. Get him ready for Carolina. Right. But and you're telling call. me, you're saying, why should he play all this? You got to worry. You mentioned the draft. You mentioned the draft as if him playing against Wake Forest, anything that could happen against no. Wake Forest or North Carolina will affect his draft stock. Any of it. No, I said the potential for him coming back too early tonight against a team that the team is favored by 29 if against If Zion home, is playing, he's not coming back too soon. Coach K has stressed that. And if he doesn't play tonight, then what does that mean? That means he's still not ready. And if right. he's still not ready, I think he he's going not, to play against play. North Carolina. We, if he doesn't play tonight, we have nothing to go off of on that. Right. It is my opinion that if they haven't shut him down already for the rest of the regular season, they expect him to play. They expect him to play either tonight. Well, of course they want him or to play. against North Carolina. Yeah, Duke, it's not like Duke's sitting around going, "Well, we better not play Zion." Just you know, it, it might end up hurting. They're not thinking of it that way. Neither am I. All I said was he's been out for three games with the same sprain as Bagley did last year. They sat Bagley for four games. Enough time for him to come back, win the ACC tournament, and then get to the Elite Eight in March. They might do the same thing with Zion. Up next, something that is typically upsetting. When it's brought up and something now that is truly upsetting that highlights a strange era for journalism and really public outrage. Keep it here on The Drive. Come on! Let's go! You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. The The Sports Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. We really playing Michael Jackson bumps today? We'll get to that in a second. Much like a sick joke, I get this in my email inbox five minutes ago. Right as we were at a segment in which we were arguing about Zion Williamson, if he will return, or this week in the regular season, playing the ACC tournament, do you save him for March Madness, the NCAA tournament? Duke announces Zion Williamson is out tonight versus Wake Forest. A 7 o'clock tip. It, again, is a grade one right knee sprain. Coach K said yesterday he has entered the fourth and final stage of his rehabilitation. I didn't get a chance to get to my all-ACC team right now. My all-ACC team for this season, Zion Williamson, and R.J. Barrett are the two no-brainers. They're two of the five first-team All-ACC. Then it gets a little more difficult. There's three guys who are deserving for Virginia. Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, and Ty Jerome. You look at how they all score. They're all floating around a very similar place in points, rebounds, assists. They've all had excellent seasons. I prefer DeAndre Hunter over the other two because of what he does on the other side of the floor. He could be a shutdown defender. He's versatile. I feel like he's the most talented Virginia Cavalier. So I have him first team all conference. Cam Johnson from North Carolina. He's 
been the best player for the Tar Heels, the most consistent player for the Tar Heels. Kobe White's probably the most electric guy, but there's games where he gets shut down. There's games he's been invisible. He's been banged up early on in the season. So give me Cam Johnson over Kobe White and Luke May. And I have Kelly Blackshear rounding out my all-ACC team. It was either him or... um, I mean, it really is a tough call when when you try to pick between some of these uh, Virginia Tech players. Nikhil Alexander-Walker has had a great year, but he's a guard. I feel like you need another big in there. Kelly Blackshear, it really is a toss-up between the two. So I have Blackshear there. Uh, Marquise Reed's had an excellent season for Clemson. He might sneak up on some people. But those are my five. My first team, All-ACC. I think I'm going to be submitting that vote sometime soon. R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, Cam Johnson, and Kelly Blackshear. Any uh, objections, Des? Um, no, I've got three of your five. I've got R.J., Zion, and Cam Johnson. Then I have uh, Kyle Guy and uh, Tyus Battle from uh, from Syracuse. See, Battle's an interesting deal. It seems like he just carries he's so up squad. and down, but he's yeah. also he's he can't. And Marquise Reed, he's he's been carrying Clemson. Yeah, but those teams they're middle of the pack teams, and I think Virginia Tech deserve some recognition for how good they've been also with Justin Robinson being down that's good so point. you got to go Kelly Blackshear or either uh Nikhil Alexander Walker or I keep getting that backwards no I got it right that time Nikhil yes, yeah. Alexander Walker that name terrifies me because sometimes <laughs> I go Nikhil Walker Alexander instead of Nikhil Alexander Walker there, I digress there's a lot of good play you know actually this is a great example of the Zion effect this year in the ACC because there's a lot of good players and they've kind of been Terrence Mann for Florida State. Uh, Chris uh, Chris likes from uh, Miami. He's sure. been really good. But that's a team that's not going to make the NCAA right. tournament. Notre Dame has some guys. I I I feel pretty good about that five. And you're right, Kyle Guy qualifies. Kobe White, Ty Jerome. Kobe you talk about see, him a Kobe bit now. White has been a little bit more inconsistent than the other guys. He's come on here the past like two weeks or so. Thirty four yeah. and twenty eight yeah. of late. He's been tremendous. I. I think he's the most talented Tar Heel, but I think Cam Johnson's been the better player over the span of the season. So that's what I have first team all ACC. If you have any objections to that, you can chime in at 336-777-1600 and on Twitter at Sports Up Triad. This Michael Jackson stuff, finding Neverland, dear God, it, it ruined Michael Jackson for me. Like, you've pretty much banned R. Kelly from being played on this show. Yep. And Well, I can't really play R. Kelly on this show anyway. It's all kind of slower grinding Sure. <laughs> That's fine. Kanye I've banned temporarily. He's on a temporary ban. Banning Kanye but playing Michael Jackson coming into this segment. That's the last time you're going to hear Mike for a while. I, if I, ever. There's so little doubt. After watching this, there's so little doubt he did what he was accused of. 15 years ago, there was reasonable doubt. There was. He had 10 charges dropped. 10 charges. He was ruled not guilty. Mm-hmm. So there was reasonable doubt. One of the lead witnesses, though, in that case, defending Michael Jackson, is one of the two former kids who are now adults featured who are describing what Michael Jackson did to them and how their parents were in the other room allowing them to sleep in the same bed as Michael Jackson. It's stunning, but what do we do with this? This is worse, in my opinion, than what 
R. Kelly did. This is worse than what Bill Cosby did, in my mind. But Michael Jackson, he is more famous, was more famous than both of them combined. He was maybe one of the two or three most famous people on the planet. One of the three or four most talented, beloved American performers in the last 50 years. So what do we do now? It's easy to stifle and dismiss R. Kelly's music. It's easier to do that than it is to do that with Michael Jackson. So what do we do from here? My issue with the documentary, my only issue, there was no representation from the Jackson side. There was none of that. The The director's defense was we had, we took several, a lot of time in the documentary to have their defense heard, their defense at the time. But there was nobody from the Jacksons who were interviewed for this documentary. You you said something at the beginning of this. You said that this is worse. What makes this worse than what R. Kelly is accused of or what it's Bill children. Cosby was accused of? Just the fact that it's children? It, it's children. Well, it, they're under 10 years old. Well, technically, this, this R. Kelly is, was dealing with minors, I, too. I know, but Prefer- there's a difference between verbally. minors and under 10 years old. There, there's a huge difference I mean, in, in my, my mind. In my mind, they're written I mean, just before having a 13- and a 7-year-old. Right, I mean, but just, I don't want to get into those semantics. Right. I was just curious as to why you were considering it worse. If you're younger than 10, and we're talking about more than five children, it's it's very upsetting. But does it does it mean you can't separate the art from the artist? Can you do that at this point? Can you still love Michael Jackson and listen to Michael Jackson and separate that from these heinous allegations that seem to be true based off this documentary. Also, this seems to be a very strange age for journalism and public outrage. If social media existed in 2004, I think Michael Jackson's career is over just because of that court case. I think R. Kelly's career is over just because of the social media mob and how we like to dismiss people now. As soon as anybody's accused of anything, we want them wiped off the face of the planet. And then there's this documentary journalism age here, the power of Netflix, Amazon, Hulu rising, where a lot of the information in this story, in R. Kelly stuff, they've been reported on time and time again. None of this is new. Right. Well, (laughs) it is new to have the the details in this documentary. It is new to have somebody who was once a defendant for Michael Jackson on video camera outlining all the crimes. That is new, and I'll give it that. But whether it's Making a Murderer or the R. Kelly documentary recently or this, it seems like this is what we're responding to now. This seems to be the modern-day journalism. In fact, the second season of Making a Murderer starts with the reaction in that town to the first season and how that seems to be where people are getting more information than their newspaper and getting more information from then say whatever your news source is. This seems to be it, and I don't know whether I'm concerned with that or not. This this documentary and the R. Kelly documentary is going to be more powerful than anything the New York Times, the Washington Post, or a local newspaper can do uh, or can have. This this is I got to correct you on one thing though. This is not the first time a, a quote unquote victim of Michael Jackson has come out on TV or camera or whatever. No no and, no. And describe. You're absolutely what he was right. Doing. It's not the first time. It's the first time that. A prominent witness 
somebody who was a choreographer for NSYNC and Britney Spears, who Michael Jackson had as one of his lead witnesses to defend him, is speaking out against him. Hmm. That's what makes it different. Your initial question about what to do with this, like now that this is out on our lap, like what to do with it, I've been struggling with this for a while in terms of, and I mentioned this because we, we had a conversation about Louis C.K. a couple months ago. Yes. And I was saying, you know, in the case of Bill Cosby, I've tried to separate the character of Heathcliff Huxtable from Bill Cosby. Like, I can watch the Cosby show, but I can't watch a Bill Cosby stand-up. But even that starts to get to a point where you can't do that somewhere. The R. Kelly thing was the tipping point, to be honest, because I was doing that with Michael Jackson. I've lived with this Michael Jackson accusation stuff for over 20 years. Like, none of this is new to the black community. Right, but you could have reasonable doubt because he was a black man. We wanted to believe him. He was innocent. Right. In court, innocent. So there is reasonable doubt. But see, the problem is there's so much evidence that that reasonable doubt gets just chipped away to the point where you have to ask yourself, am I just blindly believing this guy because his music is so good? Or am I believing him because I really feel like he's telling the truth? And I think a lot of us, it's because the music was so good. I watched all four hours of it. It's it's certainly worth a watch. It's not heavy-handed with making you believe things or... uh, just automatically assume what they're saying is true. It's just a lot of description. It's not a lot of hammering Michael Jackson. You're really left to arrive at your own conclusion, right, but yeah. it seems like there's only one logical one to really arrive at at the end of it. It, uh, gosh, you make I found up. myself being more mad at the parents than Michael Jackson. Yes. How about let's start right there because that's the biggest issue. These parents letting their seven year olds in here with this guy. Would you let a grown gosh, man sleep with your seven year old child? No, but no matter who he no, is. No, but that's fame. That's that's easy. That is the power of fame. We have an issue. That's one of our biggest issues, I think. How how much stock we put in celebrity and that's, fame. That. It is a very and we saw that level of fame with Michael Jackson. Then probably unprecedented. Like I don't think there's anybody today that's even close to being as famous as Michael Jackson was back then. Coming up, I'll tell you what really matters from the NFL scouting combine. This is the Sports Hub, and you're on the drive. This is the Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to the drive with Josh Graham. God, I hate what NFL scouting combine talk does to us. We're talking about wide receivers that you've never heard of. Like DK Metcalf. And then I get a message like this from Corey who writes in, Sorry, sir. I don't believe that you don't know the guy who had 26 receptions last year in seven games. <laughs> exactly. Ole Miss football. Darren Gant, now with us from ProFootballTalk.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Darren Gant with two Ts. Darren, it's good to have you on the program. How are you, man? I'm doing well. It's important to remember that digging too deeply into the NFL Combine as an entertainment property makes you dumber. It it absolutely does. (laughs) If you keep it in the context of this thing is a tool, it's it's a trade show, it's a place where all the plumbers get together and measure pipes to see which ones they're going to buy next year. If you attach importance to it beyond that, that's where you get yourself into trouble, and that's teams and fans alike. So that is my you know, opening salvo to just say, take every bit of this with a grain of salt. 
Uh, just because a guy runs fast and didn't produce doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player. There have been a lot of those guys over the past. Just because a guy runs fast doesn't mean he's going to be great either. So it's it's part of the evaluation, and I think as long as we're mindful that it's part and not the entire evaluation, then uh, we can just accept it for the entertainment property it's become. A couple years ago, I, I was thinking about the NFL putting its schedule release in prime time as being a ridiculous example of how big the entertainment property the NFL has become, how how absurd that is. Um, this this is probably the next example of that, right? Where the NFL scouting combine is being broadcast on national television, on network television this weekend on ABC. Right, and, and you know what the problem is, don't you, Josh? What's that? Y'all keep watching it. If, I don't. If people. Would, if people would stop watching it, we wouldn't have to have this conversation. No, I mean, listen, I, and I say this with all self-awareness. I know interest in the National Football League pays my mortgage. But, yeah, I mean, some of this stuff has reached a ridiculous um, a ridiculous extreme. As it pertains to the business of doing football, the combine is still a very important thing. But it's important for the reasons that most fans aren't going to tune in to watch. I mean, but the NFL knows people will show up to watch them a fast guy run a fast four-yard dash or a fat guy do something interesting. So, you know, they'll keep putting it on TV. But I, I am more of a fan of the event as it pertains to the information gathering than the televising of it. I, I think it's got they've gotten themselves down a rabbit hole on that one. Let's get to the important stuff. Have you caught any shows lately? Uh, no, I'm in a little bit of a little bit of a dry spell here. I do have tickets to see Dear Evan Hudson in a couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to that, even though that's not my normal rock and roll show uh, fair, but I am looking forward to that one. This doc, uh, last night, I was watching the Michael Jackson documentary. I watched all four hours of this, Leaving Neverland. It leaves little doubt to what happened, and this feels worse, what he did, than, say, what Bill Cosby did and what R. Kelly did. But there's no question that Michael Jackson is much more famous than any of them. What what do you suspect happens next in this age that we live in where journalism seems to be received best and reacted to now in documentary form and also public outrage and social media outrage is at an all-time high? You know, it's an interesting point, and it's probably a deeper sociological conversation that we could have that would drive your rating straight into the toilet while we're not talking about DK Metcalf's 40 times. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think it's interesting, and I do think we're at a changing place in terms of the way media is consumed. I mean, Netflix has done a lot of this. The Internet's done a lot of this. We've got more access to more stuff. And, and I do think, and to, to put it back in the football lens, it's important to know the difference between knowledge and information. And when you can gain perspective on something, and I think that documentary, while I haven't had a chance to watch it myself, it's lined up and I do want to see it soon. Um, you know, it's going to be one of those things that breaks a lot of people's hearts, and it should. It was a terrible thing that's allegedly happened to these uh, children, so obviously everyone should be horrified by it, but that, those are the kind of stories that take time to develop, and while we've got more access to more stuff, I don't know that enough people are spending the time to develop and and to consume information that takes time to develop um, that maybe will paint a clearer picture of things for them. As a longtime print journalist, though, does it rub you the wrong way that may, making a murderer on Netflix it, it gets more attention and it's received as journalism and probably has more of an impact than the actual journalism that was done in that town, in that state. The R. Kelly documentary that came out a couple of weeks ago, 
a lot of the stuff in there was from great journalism done the last 10 years, but we now see radio stations pulling stuff off of their stations and et cetera. It feels like we're in a strange place in journalism, and I'm wondering as a print guy, what do you make of that? Well, I mean, we are at a moment. I mean, everybody, it seems, is is an aggregator at this point, and I raise my hand and, and say that that's a lot of what we do at Pro Football Talk. You know, we sort of feel like what we do is add a perspective to it. And, you know, I, I think whether you're watching, you know, I, I think you make a good point that a lot of this stuff at a granular level does come from local TV stations, local newspapers. Look at what happened with the North Carolina 9. Uh, Ninth Congressional District investigation. That stuff was born out of investigations by our local TV stations and newspapers. And, you know, I, it would be my annual plea, or it's probably a lot more than an annual plea to, for your listeners. Subscribe to your Winston-Salem Journal. Subscribe to your Greensboro News and Record. That's where your local communities are getting covered. And, you know, I, I think then, you know, when you see in, in the North Carolina Nine, then when a Rachel Maddow or an Anderson Cooper takes off on this story, they add a national uh, perspective to a local story. And, and I think, again, there's there's a lot of ways to consume it, but I am always, I always will be a believer that you're problems are best solved closest to their source and your local newspapers and tv stations are best equipped to cover their communities darren gant with us from profootballtalk.com how difficult how well can you separate artist from art it's hard it's hard and i struggle with it and it's become tougher for me as i've gotten older you know when i was a kid I just kind of accepted that every rock and roll singer was a degenerate, and and now there are layers of degenerate that I can't really get down supporting anymore. I mean, I listened to a lot, a lot of Ted Nugent records when I was in high school, and I just can't now. It makes me feel creepy. And I, I know we ought to be able to draw that line, but, you know, I, I, and I admit that I'm probably different than other people. I, doing this for a living makes me look at sports and entertainment differently, but I, I wouldn't have the stomach, for instance, if I was a Carolina Panthers fan, you know, when Greg Hardy was out there. It's hard for me to stomach, hard for me to support. And, you know, I, I've kind of joked with people, I've sought out sports. You know, there's a Tottenham Hotspur game on right now that I'm watching on the Spanish channel. So if I start yelling, uh, <laughs> forgive me. But when I wanted to get interested in soccer, I went and found a team that kind of reflected my values. And I think a lot of people, whether it's sports or politics, are too willing to set their values aside because that's my team right there. That's the team I pull for, and they're always right. And I think – you know, when we treat our when we treat our sports teams like our politics and our politics like our sports teams, I think we get ourselves into trouble because you know we lose sight of hey, this is entertainment. These people, you know, I want I want them to reflect my community. I want them to reflect my values. So I think people have been too accepting of of teams, whether it's sports or politics, for too long, and just kind of gone along with it rather than really examine what it is they want out of this transaction. What's your favorite detail from either the first or second Cam Newton video blog post that he's put out? <laughs> I, I love the fact that Cam Newton, who has gone to such great lengths to keep us from really knowing him uh, in seven or eight years in Carolina, is it, 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 actually it's longer than that. He's gone to such great lengths to keep us from knowing him that he would look, that he would have them film him going under anesthesia and not being able to count backwards from a hundred. I, I mean, I just adore that, frankly. I mean, it's and it's interesting because he had been so sheltered and he was so defensive because of the way he was treated 
you know, in some quarters of the media during his college days. He's always had a little bit of that. And, you know, I, I think rightfully so. But it, it's interesting to me to see him sort of pull back the curtain on his own terms here. You know, and frankly, more athletes are going to do it. Antonio Brown's doing it. He's sending his messages by his own social media channels. And I think more and more guys go that way. It's just interesting to me how Cam Newton is this personality who does television shows and or has done one for it was either Cartoon Network or Disney, one of those a couple of years ago. He did that a couple mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and he's putting out these videos now. He has an interest to do that and he's good at it. He's a very entertaining person on camera, but there are few star quarterbacks I can think of who keep themselves at arm's distance the way Cam Newton does, and I wonder why that is, you think? Well, no, I, I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that because I think, uh, you know, the Aaron Rodgers is not particularly known in Green Bay, and that is as aggressively a covered property as there is in the NFL. Uh, he does a periodic radio show up there, but other than that, people still don't really know what's inside Aaron Rodgers' head, so I, I don't know that I'd necessarily go along with that. Every now and then you get a young guy who's still on the rookie contractor is just extremely amenable, but I think the league sort of shelters those guys a little bit too to to keep people at arm's length from them. It's a different day and age. I mean, I remember in the early days of the Panthers, first five, six, seven years of covering that team, you know, when you get a Steve Berline or a Jake DeLong sticking his head in the press room on his way out to the parking lot saying, hey, you boys need anything else today? That doesn't happen anymore. Not here, not anywhere. So I think the quarterbacks, by and large, are sheltered. Before we let you go, give me a very descriptive, uh, analytical um, perspective on what's happening in the Tottenham match right now. Well, right now, uh, Tottenham is hanging on to a 3-0 lead from the first game of this uh, uh, round of 16 match against Borussia Dortmund. Uh, basically, they've just got to hang on to, to that lead and not lose by four today. And they're doing a good job of parking the bus in front of the goal. Uh, Tottenham, one of the things that drew me to them was that they play a very uh, dynamic uh, offensive style. They take a lot of chances. They're willing to be daring. The club motto is to dare is to do, but not today. Today we play defense, and yeah. today we sit and just park on that 3 nothing lead and see if it holds up on the road. Well done. That's great analysis and very inspired analysis from Darren <laughs> Gant. Uh, appreciate the football analysis in more ways than one. We appreciate you dropping we'll, by. We'll talk about 40 times or something one other day. One of these times. Thanks, Darren. See ya. You got it. What are you guys talking about? Talk, talk. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham, the The Sports Sports Hub, at AM 600, AM 920. Thank goodness I'm in a place where I don't have to do much moving around, having to see much. I have this microphone in front of me, and I'm trying to see what Dez is motioning at me about in the control room. I can't really make it out because I don't have my glasses on. I forgot them at home. The reason I forgot them is because I've been starting a new gym regiment this week, which has thrown some things off. But even though we haven't figured out what this side bet is going to be, And really, we haven't figured out the Virginia bet either, what's going to happen in the regular season when Virginia wins the ACC title, like I said they would way back in June or July when we kicked this show off. 
Um, but we'll do that at a later point. I, uh, I- I'm interested if you have any gym pet peeves when you're going to the gym, because there's a lot of things that irritate me that I forgot about having not been in the gym the last couple of months. My, uh, my, my, a lot of things that just upset me. And I have a power rankings I'll get to momentarily. Oh, okay. Uh, my number one pet peeve is pe- are people that use the Nautilus machines and do not wipe them off. Like, if you're sweating and you get up from, like, the... Any the, machine. Any of them. The butterfly Anything. press, That's whatever. my number one. People who don't wipe things. People who don't wipe things off. Criminal. It's gross. It, it, it is criminal. I wish, they, like, there would be, like, a cop. Like, a, like, <laughs> like an a officer. Gym yeah, gym cop. <laughs> Much like a mall cop who would write people tickets when they don't wipe off the machines. It's criminal and it's gross. That's number one of my things that are ranked here. Also, the guy who hovers at the machine. You know this guy. When you're just trying to go about your business, maybe three or four sets, and then after the first one, he asks, Hey, man, you done? Clearly not. I'm sitting here. Nah, man. And he just stands there and hovers. That person's the worst. Yo, bro, how many sets you got? Messing up the routine, man. That guy's the worst. It's like playing Poor golf. Girl. It's like playing golf and you're slower than the, the party behind you. Oof. People who stand in front of your view of the mirror. <laughs> now, I'm not saying if you're all the way across the room that it's not okay if somebody is in your line of sight. Within reason, if if you are at one of those chairs that are, you know, five, ten feet away from the rack, maybe don't post up right in front of me here. I spend more time checking myself out in the mirror than I do checking out women in the, in, in the gym. You know, we're, we're there to work. We're there to work on ourselves here. Should be. Right. Stay in focus. That person's the worst. I don't know if that person exists. Somebody who tries to talk to women at at a uh, at a gym i have a strict don't talk to women while they're working policy don't talk to women while they're working out policy and vice versa if you're a woman men are there to work out so we don't that's not a time to talk to us i i had a friend of mine who said hey man yeah waitresses that those are the people you try to talk to i'm like no are, are you kidding me she's working here what are you doing Bothers me. It's a pet peeve of mine, Des. They don't like being talked to like that. No. Well, some do because every person has a story. Nah, man, I know my friend. That's how he met his wife. All of that. Those are exceptions. Follow the rule. Don't follow the exceptions. Follow the rule. I I have another pet peeve of females wearing attire that's not really gym attire. It's really more to kind of be designed to be looked at at the gym. Can you give me an example? Uh... Because I think I know what you might mean. Shorts too short or... Right. Uh, what What's up with the t-shirt that's cut on the side? Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's cut all the way down the side of the t-shirt. Serves, when did that become a thing? Serves no purpose whatsoever. 336-777-1600. Is the guy a jerk or not a jerk who has the big water jugs? Like a milk jug full of water. Oh. <laughs> Is that guy a jerk or is he not a jerk? 336-777-1600. I used to call that guy a jerk, but now I probably am that guy. So, Walking cool. around with the jug of water? Mm-hmm. Why? I like water, man. Nah, there's people who will say, <laughs> I got the appropriate amount. 
of water it's going to take in order to hydrate me properly while I'm here at the gym, bro. That guy. You could just have a water bottle, a normal water bottle. You're walking around with a jug. Maybe I'm being too judgmental. That is very possible here. Well, you're not you're not supposed to be considering you're going to a place that's a no judgment zone, right? That's true. So get that get that out of your tank, man. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. But no, talking to people, what's the best time to go to the gym? Afternoons, mornings, or evenings? I prefer the mornings because you're in there with the old people. And they are truly non judgmental because they're just trying to get through their morning working well, out see, too. I go I go in the morning and it's it's a good mix. Well, I was going to the Y, so that probably changes the audience. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. I think I don't, it doesn't matter what time you go to the Y. There's yeah. going to be old people there, <laughs> right? But if you go to the Y after six o'clock, it's everybody in town in there, so it's hard right. to to get on machines and get a rhythm. Before we get to Stan Cotton, who's going to join us in twenty minutes, I'm interested if you have any pet peeves with the gym. Three three six seven 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 one six hundred is the phone number if you care to chime in. Hayes Permar has a new song, a new parody song out, which we'll play for you in ten minutes. The Carolina Hurricanes, they're in action tonight. They're wearing the Hartford Whaler sweaters on the road in Boston. Bruins fans, New Englanders, not that happy about the first time the Hurricanes wore the sweaters. I think Bill Simmons, who's a noted Boston fan in the media, saw the Hurricanes post about the first Whalers night, and he quote tweeted it, with only the caption, F-U, Hurricanes, wasn't pleased with it. I think he went as far to say, it's kind of like when, it would be like if a kidnapper 25 years later sent you photos from prom. That's how it would feel if you're a Hartford Whalers fan watching tonight the Carolina Hurricanes wearing whaler gear play the Boston Bruins. I don't have an issue with it. Um, but I can understand the criticism of it. It would be like if the Oklahoma City Thunder had a Seattle Supersonics night. I'm sure a bunch of people in Seattle would not care about that too much. See, I don't know too much about the history of how the Hurricanes eventually got here. Were they pushed out of Hartford, or was Hartford oh, not no. wanting to put up there money was an to o- pay for something? There, there was an owner who wanted as far as i understand he wanted several needs fulfilled and he got a lot of them fulfilled but not all of them and they were very uh demanding um requirements and he just pulled the team out of hartford a lot of people were convinced that he was going to pull the team out no matter what and then he came to north carolina and he didn't really recognize the history of the whalers he he obviously changed the team name changed the colors didn't really recognize the records, and that's something that has changed over time. And now with the new ownership, Tom Dundon doesn't have that bad blood that exists, so he sees a business opportunity to make a buck off the Whalers' history and at the same time making sure that if you're talking about the history of the franchise, you also include the Whaler days as well. Like, How in the world did Hartford get an NHL franchise in the first place? It's like giving an NBA team to Schenectady, New York or something. I mean, it's, it, it's happens. Crazy. it happens. It happens I mean, it doesn't make much sense for an NFL franchise to be in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Well, I mean, they were like an original though, right? Right. And the the Hartford Whalers were a part of the expansion in 1979. And it's a great town. I've been to Hartford. Hartford fans, they're pretty passionate about hockey there. And they support their teams. Hartford's, uh, it's it's a great sports town. I, I really enjoyed Hartford. But the Hartford Whalers 
in their disgust, or I guess the city of Hartford, they have tried to burn the hurricanes back. Here is the hurric- uh, the Hartford response to the Carolina Hurricanes deciding to have Hartford Whaler Knights twice a year. A home game in Raleigh and now going on the road to Boston. There is a minor league baseball team called the Hartford Yard Goats. It's one of the best names in minor That's league baseball. Great. Great logo, <laughs> great logo, great hat. When minor league baseball season gets set to start, maybe we can have the discussion of what the best minor league baseball team name is. Ah. The Savannah Bananas going to be a part of that discussion. Ooh, I like that one too. Maybe the Montgomery Biscuits. <laughs> but the Hartford Yard Goats tweeted this out a couple hours ago. Breaking in defense of honoring the Whalers' legacy, the Yard Goats announced they will play one game as the Hurricanes this season and lose. That's really petty. It's a Hurricanes logo, and right in the middle, in the uh, the the center of the eye, is an H, I, as in Hartford Yard Goat. I, Clearly you, being a joke. You know me. I, I am here for the petty. I applaud that type of pettiness. And it sounds like it's coming from a deep place <laughs> from that community. So Right. Yeah. Go for it. Hartford's a great town, and they have passionate sports fans. So this doesn't surprise me at all, and I'm interested to see what happens later on tonight. Kyle in Winston-Salem is here. Kyle, give me a gym pet peeve that you have. Uh, the working out people that don't work out and sit on, gym, on uh, machines for hours looking at their phones. Excellent work there. Kyle, I couldn't agree with you more. That's one that I forgot. Everybody, I think, knows this guy who sits down at the bench, maybe does one or two reps, and then he just plays on his phone. Yeah. <laughs> that person. Or you might just do one push of the of the uh, the bench press, play on your phone, maybe get like a hard grunt in there, take a selfie for Instagram, let's hit the showers. I forgot the guy that grunts across the entire what? Uh, what? Uh, 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 and then he'll drop it and like shake his arms and like wander off for 30 seconds. What? <laughs> Our good friend Hayes Permar has another parody song. We'll give you the details. We'll give you a sample of a soon-to-be classic next. What are we going to talk about? Talking about. This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Wow. I believe this to be next level producing by Desmond Johnson behind the scenes. He usually tries to find songs that our guests will like. And one thing we know about our next guest, Stan Cotton, who's the voice of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, he loves Clint Eastwood movies. This song is Clint Eastwood by the Gorillas. And you can find our bumps on Spotify, by the way. Just search The Drive with Josh Graham. So I can't think of a more fitting song to welcome the voice of the Deeks to the show than a song that's literally called Clint Eastwood. Stan is at Cameron Indoor Stadium, site of Duke Wake Forest tonight. Stan, it's been a while since you've been on the show. How you been? Nah, I reckon so. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a really good... Is that all you got in your arsenal and your very limited Clint Eastwood? I've been listening to you guys all these last two or three weeks about all your impersonations. No, no, no. no. I, I, I've i got a few. 
but we'll we'll have to hold off on those till you know me a little better. Darren Vaught but, has his um I think he has his fake T pain. Des, you've got your very limited Jack Bauer. Give me a quick taste of that. Very quick taste. Chloe, get me on the line with Stan Cotton quick. I'm stuck in this basement. I need to get back to CTU. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah and you, you got your pretty swift. back ever. Ever. No, he doesn't, and he has to get back to CTU. Clint, Clint, uh, Clint is one of my my better ones, but uh, anyway, you're you're pretty uh, you're you're in uh, good shape, I'd say, Stan. So I wonder, do you have any pet peeves when you go to the gym? Like, is there somebody generally that bothers you? Whether it's someone who don't who doesn't wipe things down or plays on their phone, anybody, anything stick out to you? Well, see, I you know I, I work out at home now, so. I hadn't been in the gym in so long. I, I, I forget what my pet peeves are, but I, I would not like the not wiping down the equipment. Kind of like you know, there's a Seinfeld episode wrapped around that too. You know, yeah. So that that's that's probably the one I would go to. Yeah. We we still have a rule. If he makes any cowboy references, Des has the bell ready to go for Stan Cotton. <laughs> uh, in the landscape of important figures throughout Wake Forest history, what kind of company does Ron Wellman keep now that he's retiring? He's got to be on Mount Rushmore. I mean, he really does. When you consider not only just the length of his tenure, but what he was able to accomplish there, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, and for him to come on top of Dr. Hooks, Dr. Gene Hooks, who was there about the same amount of time, I mean, you're looking at about just shy of 60 years of men who were visionaries, who were who knew how to bring people in, who knew how to be good teammates, to be servant leaders, all those types of things. I, I don't think you last that long, Josh, if, if you're not that way. And uh, Ron Wellman was just fantastic in that regard. And I just, it's, it was kind of an awkward, not, not awkward is not the right word. It was a kind of a surreal moment yesterday when, when John Curry was talking about his mother saying, well, well th- this can't be, talking about her son following Ron Wellman. This can't be because... Ron Wellman will always be the athletic director at Wake Forest, and that's certainly what I felt. He brought me along. Uh, he and Ben Sutton 23 years ago, and he, he's all I've known at Wake Forest, and he's been a good friend, very supportive of us at Learfield IMG, and what we've been trying to do has been a fantastic partner. Uh, but more than that, just a good person, good friend, good leader, and I just it's a uh, it's kind of a surreal time uh, knowing that his tenure is what couple weeks or a couple months from from being over so um that'll have to that'll take a while to sink in but but i think the dick's got him a good one i've known john curry for a long time and and he brings a terrific resume i think and he'll 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 be fantastic we had john curry on the show yesterday and there was a point where he said i my aspirations as a deacon club intern was to be a deacon club assistant director i never in my wildest dreams thought i would be Ron Wellman, and it was a really neat moment yesterday, too, aside from the standing ovation that was well-deserved for Ron Wellman, that Dr. Hooks was in attendance at, at, at the press conference. So you have kind of that lineage of Dr. Hooks to Ron Wellman to um, now John Curry, which I thought to be pretty cool as well. Stan Cotton is with us here. If, if you had to pinpoint one or two things, though, if you're trying to explain to somebody very quickly a 30-second minute version of what Ron Wellman accomplished was is there something that stands out among the rest one or two things wow it, it's hard Josh to, to pinpoint something but I think you can look at the 
maybe the 2006 ACC football championship. Who believed that would ever happen at Wake Forest? I don't believe if people were being honest and you asked them, okay, which of the big four is going to win a football championship before the other? I don't think anybody would have picked Wake Forest. And yet, he had the foresight to hire Jim Grove, who was the perfect man at the perfect time uh, and didn't have a lot of advantages that a lot of ACC schools had at the time with regard to facilities and other things. But he was able to win an ACC title, go to the Orange Bowl, and that was an incredible time uh, for, for Wake Forest and such a proud moment for the program at the Orange Bowl. I'll never forget that night sitting there and, and looking at the tens of thousands of Wake fans, and that is not hyperbole, tens of thousands of Wake fans down in South Florida for that game. And that was just, to me, I remember it, it, halftime of, of broadcast in games wondering if Wake would ever be able to compete uh, with, with some of the big boys in college football, specifically Florida State. And then the Deeks went on, what, several seasons in a row of beating Florida State, winning an ACC title going to the Orange Bowl. I'm, I'm not sure uh, that there's anything more than that that would maybe illustrate what Ron brought to the table because you know he, he, he knew the type of person that, that was needed perhaps to do that at Wake, and at the time it was Jim Grove, and he got it done, and I think, uh, without question, that, that Ron Wilman der- deserves an awful lot of credit for that ACC football title in 19, uh, or rather in uh, 2006. How did you celebrate that evening? How late were you up? Oh, wow, I don't even remember. My, my, my whole family was down there, my wife, my two daughters at the time were very young, so <laughs> we, had, we had family obligations. and sure. it, The whole radio crew took, took their families. All of us were much, much younger than we are now, and young families and and uh uh so i honestly it was just uh you know a, a time to kind of exhale after that game and even though wake forest didn't win the game but it was just kind of a surreal moment uh and you knew it was historic and you just kind of relished the fact that you were there and you were a part of it uh that that's really what i remember more than anything else so we've been looking back let's look ahead stan cotton with us here the voice of the wake forest demon deacons it is Wake Forest at Duke tonight. We learned last hour Zion Williamson will not be playing in the game. He will be missing his fourth consecutive game in a row. Before he sustained the injury against North Carolina, it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion. He was going to be ACC Player of the Year, and he was the front runner for National Player of the Year. Do you think Zion should still be uh, the favorite to win either or uh, either the player of the year for the ACC or the national player of the year now that he's missed four in a row and he's in danger of missing the rest of the regular season? Oh, I wish you had Mark Freidinger on the phone right now. I think he would be much better uh, qualified to answer that than, than I am. But, uh, you know, he, he's still going to get a whole lot of votes for those things. But, I mean, you look at, uh, uh, you know, a guy like R.J. Barrett. I mean, he leads the ACC in scoring. And, uh, you know, I think he, he, he deserves some some – some of that, uh, uh, you know, consideration. But, uh, you know, uh, Zion did an awful lot before he was hurt three games ago uh, here at the very end that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have probably decided that, uh, you know, he's going to get their vote for those types of things. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure 
you know, he's not going to play tonight. You know, if he doesn't play at Carolina, that that'll hurt him a little bit more. Uh, but you know, we'll see. I, I don't, I don't really know. A really, really good question, but he will get a lot of votes. Don't, don't. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. He'll, he'll still get a lot of those types of votes. Many college basketball fans, pretty much all college basketball fans, know that Cameron Indoor Stadium is small, but specifically inside Cameron, there's this place called the Crow's Nest where you yeah. and. Uh, radio broadcasters and television broadcasters do the game from and last year they they spent the entire season renovating it so you had to sit in an auxiliary area to broadcast as far as I understand in in the corner and up high so now it's a little bit safer it feels like to get up into the crow's nest I'm not sure if you've been up there yet um, this afternoon but give me a sense for those who may not understand it how would you describe the old Crow's Nest at Cameron Indoor Stadium, the place you have to climb into to broadcast a game inside Cameron. Well, I'm sitting there right now, and and even the old Crow's Nest, I loved it. I, I really did. I, it, it took me back to uh, my early days in Knoxville at the old Stokely Athletic Center, and there was a very similar setup. There was kind of an old iron catwalk that hung out over the court, and uh, when I was working at uh, Tennessee's flagship station back in the day, and covering Tennessee basketball, I would go up there and just kind of hang out and watch the games from the uh, the ball network spot. And I just kind of stand in the back, and it's very, very similar uh, to not only the old Crow's Nest, but to the new one now where we're sitting. I mean, the Duke radio folks are setting up over here. A guy by the name of John Rose, I think you know, and used to work uh, for him. Absolutely, that he was telling. I've got dirt on you now. Oh no! Um, oh no! Yeah, oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's for another 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 day. But, Off air. Um, but uh, the, the the new crow's nest is very similar to the old. It's it's a little cleaner, a little neater, but uh, you get up here a little safer. There's kind of a little stairway. There's even air conditioning uh, up here now, which we used to have to wear you know golf shirts up here, but uh, but but not anymore. So it it's you know I love it. It's outside of the Joel Coliseum, and I've written about this. It's my favorite spot to come now. It, it's hard to win here. You hardly call a win here. As a matter of fact, the, the only win I've ever called here was my first year, 23 years ago in 1997 when Tim Duncan was playing. So uh, visiting teams don't win a lot here, so you don't call a lot of wins. But just the atmosphere, the vantage point, I think is absolutely perfect to call a college basketball game. Uh, so I love coming here. Uh, the Duke folks are always great to us, uh, helping us with anything we need. And uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. We're set up and ready to go, and, and anxious to uh, see what the 251st meeting in this series uh, brings tonight. Stan, we look forward to following it. Appreciate you uh, squeezing in some time for us. You're the best man. I reckon so. <laughs> That's Stan Cotton. Leave him in on that note. Much like George Costanza, come out on top. Go out while you're on top. Let's begin. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. You're on the drive with Josh Graham, the The Sports Sports Hub, at AM 600, AM 920. Is this bombs over Baghdad? Yes. Wow. Someone came up to me not too long ago and said, this is the greatest hip-hop song of all time. And I'm like, no, no, no way. And then I started thinking about it. Not the craziest thing somebody said before. This is our New Year's Eve anthem. David Lynn with us now 
our early afternoon host, which you can listen to noon to three right here on the Sports Hub, doing great work for accsports.com, where you can find our weekly ACC rankings. Also for theathletic.com, where he broke some news this weekend. You may have heard about it. John Curry, the new director of athletics at Wake Forest, who we had on the show yesterday, and DG had a chance to chat with earlier this afternoon, replacing Ron Wellman, who spent nearly 27 years as the AD at Wake Forest. He's going to be retiring effective May the 1st. DG, congratulations on great work this weekend, and really the great work you do each and every day for us here on the Sports Hub. It's good to have you back on the show. Thank you, Josh. It was a long weekend breaking that story, but it's always good to be with you. And it's especially fun at this time of year where there's so many great things going on, March Madness and otherwise. So Ron Wellman, he, he said that this process began the day of the Thursday night football game at NC State in November. But they decided that it would be the wise thing to do to announce this in the springtime. But with everything going on with Danny Manning and this being the last week of the regular season, why do you really think this happened now? The educated guess is that you need a new, fresh set of eyes on Danny Manning and a huge decision for the athletic department. Because the basketball program has been as much a representative of the front porch of the university, as many administrators call the athletic program as a whole. For Wake Forest, the Chris Paul era, the Tim Duncan era, the Skip Prosser era, the Dave Odom era, you know, for many people across the country, that is their introduction to Wake Forest. There have occasionally been, you know, the, the great football teams, the ACC champion under Jim Grobe, for example, 13 years ago. But Wake basketball is a prominent program in a revenue sport that gets a lot of attention. And you could be great in baseball and 100 other sports, and it doesn't matter as much as the way people follow men's basketball and football. And Wake has the right guy in Dave Clawson in football. But Danny Manning is five years into a mostly disappointing tenure, and that followed four miserable years of Jeff Pozdelic, and Ron Wellman made both of those hires. So you would want John Curry, a Wake Forest grad who knows people at Wake, knows the culture, understands it, and has been observing from afar, wouldn't it be wise to let him evaluate things rather than leaving it entirely in the hands of Ron Wellman, who, remember, negotiated that deal with Danny Manning that has led to a reported $18 million in buyout money if the Deacons decided to move on now. Now, yesterday, and I don't know if you heard anything differently, but I know Ron Wellman said yesterday on the record, if there are any major decisions to make between now and May 1st, I, the departing AD, get to make those decisions. That was the one and only bizarro statement that I heard from either Ron Wellman or John Curry over these last two days because you never let an outgoing athletic director make a decision as big as this one when, of course, it's the incoming athletic director that has to deal with either one more year of Danny Manning or launching a coaching search as soon as about a week and a half from now. It it kind of reminds me of something we both dealt with on the other side of the state last year where – East Carolina, they lose a director of athletics in Jeff Comfer, and they bring in Dave Hart to make the hire. Dave Hart, he he helped hand-select it, but essentially it was the chancellor's choice since there wasn't yeah. a pseudo-director of athletics in place. The way I view it is it, it's all minutia, it's all details, but or I guess semantics. Ron Wellman, he, he is the AD until May the 1st, but I can't believe that 
if a decision is made to part ways with Danny Manning and to hire a replacement, it will not be done without the blessing of John Curry. I think that's exactly what we should expect from the outside. It's one of those things that you respect whatever Ron says, you respect whatever John says, but I have never seen a situation in 32 years of covering college sports where it has been, yeah, the outgoing AD should make a decision even though the incoming AD has to live with the consequences. But that would be revolutionary in all of the wrong ways. And you know how much respect I have for Ron Wellman's 27-year body of work. He has not made the right calls in basketball over this last decade, but he has made a lot of right calls in a lot of other areas over 27 years. Uh, in this particular case, I think it's best to let John Curry, if not lead the decision-making, at least be the the final voice on the matter, you know, along with the university administration above the athletic department, because I don't see enough reasons to keep Danny Manning. I, I respect him as a player. I respect him as a person. He's done some good things as a coach. But if you're five years in and you have one of the worst programs in the ACC and you have guys leaving in, in really bizarre, hard-to-explain numbers, and you had a roster that really had only three ACC caliber players on it this year. Uh, that's that's okay in year one or two because it's hard to build a program. But by year five and the end of year five, uh, that should not be acceptable at a school like Wake Forest that values basketball. Uh, and it's certainly not expect uh, acceptable for a fan base that is not large but is passionate and loyal and deserves a lot better than the, what, what they've gotten for the last nine years of basketball. Right, and I'm glad you're just keeping it with basketball rather than mentioning the buyout. What I often hear from people who are defending Danny Manning, and it's becoming fewer and fewer people by the week, it, it's always the buyout as that being the only defense. And the way I look at it's it is, hard. right, right, if, if, if that's what you have, what I, what I ask those people is, if there wasn't a buyout, a significant buyout in the way, what would you do? What decision would you make? And every single time, it's always, well, if there wasn't a buyout, yes, we'd get rid of them. Then what are we talking about? If you agree that's the best thing for Wake basketball, you just brought in a new director of athletics who one of his biggest calling cards is being able to raise funds. And it's a private institution that loves its college basketball. I mean, it's a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but if North Carolina has it for football, you can't convince me that Wake Forest doesn't have it for basketball. Yeah, and and for those who don't understand, an $18 million buyout, which is what has been reported, and I don't know if that's the exact number, but it is an enormous buyout. I've heard, by the way, to to stop you real quick, I've heard between 12 and 14 from some pretty good people, but we we don't know. It's a private institution. They don't have to put these things out there. Any of those numbers would be one of the largest buyouts in college sports history, okay? So that's one of the reasons that people hesitate before – you're paying somebody that many dollars not to coach. And then, of course, you have the new expenses of hiring the new head coach and his staff while continuing to work on facilities upgrades, et cetera. Uh, there's reason for pause there. But what has happened at other schools with massive buyouts as well, they ultimately have concluded in some cases that whereas nobody wants to sign those checks worth $18 million over whatever period of years for a guy not to coach, you can lose $18 million in other ways if people don't renew their season tickets. If the home game environment, like the one where UNC visited, and it felt like two-thirds or more of the building was filled with Tar Heels fans at a Wake home game, 
Well, you think that scares recruits away or inspires recruits? You know, you can lose money directly and indirectly by keeping an unpopular, unsuccessful coach, just like you can lose the $18 million by signing those checks. If boosters uh, pause before continuing their regularly scheduled payments, if season ticket holders pause in basketball, if people stop showing up and it's a horrible game day environment, well, then it becomes that much harder for Danny Manning to recruit the next guy or the next series of guys. So it, it's a little bit more. Nobody likes signing $18 million worth of checks in a buyout or whatever the number turns out to be. It's just a little bit more complicated than, you know, we're a small private university. Our athletics budget is smaller than most, and, and we don't want to sign a $10 million plus buyout to make somebody go away there's even the financial aspect of the decision is a little bit more complicated than that david glenn is with us here listening uh listening to the david glenn show noon to three afternoons right here on the sports hub we, we were just talking about with it being the last week of the regular season in college basketball uh acc player of the year national player of the year first team all acc Zion Williamson, he's not playing tonight against Wake Forest. It'll be his fourth consecutive game that he misses. The way I feel about it, he's the most memorable player in college basketball this year. He's the best. He's been the most outstanding player in college basketball when he plays, and he's played 26 games. I I think if he doesn't play another second in the regular season, so if he doesn't play against North Carolina, I'd still vote him ACC Player of the Year, National Player of the Year. Before we get to the first-team all-conference stuff, what what do you think about that Zion Williamson's case for those awards, considering he hasn't played in the last couple of weeks down the stretch? I'm with you on this. You know, it does get a little bit weird with awards when, say, you know, Justin Robinson's an all-ACC caliber senior point guard at Virginia Tech. But he's in the process of missing, seriously, one half of the conference schedule. You start missing one half of the most important games, now we have a more complicated situation. But as you said, when you've played 26 out of 30, or at least 25 and a fraction out of 30, and you have, let's not forget this, some of the most efficient numbers in modern college basketball history. He's among leaders in scores, scoring, rebounding, field goal percentage, steals, blocks. I mean, offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding. His, his defensive efficiency numbers are high. His offensive efficiency numbers are actually through the roof. I mean, we're talking about like Anthony Davis in his one season at Kentucky as one of the comparables over the last decade or so. Sometimes, and I know people are writing and talking about this, sometimes, in fact, most of the time, the best answer is the most obvious one. And we're thinking too much. This is one of those times. Zion Williamson, if you like his YouTube highlights, that's fine. To me, that's not central to a player of the year conversation. It's about production. It's about efficiency. And it's about being there for 25-plus games for one of the best teams in the country uh, and the best player in the country. He's the ACC Freshman of the Year. He's the ACC Player of the Year. And I have an official vote in a lot of the national awards, too. He is my National Player of the Year. It's not even a close call. Uh, There are other great players out there. But Zion Williamson has earned every one of these awards and he's going to be on that line on every one of my ballots. R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson seem to be sure things in the first-team All-ACC discussion. But beyond that, there's three deserving candidates from Virginia with Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, and Ty Jerome. 
Cam Johnson, I think, in my mind, is the best choice from North Carolina. I think he's been the most consistent player all year. And then with Virginia Tech, I mean, if you like uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker or you like Kelly Blackshear, I think it's whatever you prefer to to each its own. But uh, I, I think Kelly Blackshear does a little bit more for them, or Kerry Blackshear, excuse me. So I, yep. I think that's where I'd probably head Blackshear Johnson. I'd go DeAndre Hunter for what he does defensively for Virginia. R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson are sure things for first-team All-ACC. How do you read it? Yeah, I have seven guys for five slots. And my first name is Zion Williamson. My second name is Duke Freshman R.J. Barrett. The next name, to me, it's a no-brainer, is DeAndre Hunter of Virginia. He does everything they need on offense. He does everything they need on defense. He's incredibly efficient as a two-way player. To me, those three are locks. After that, it does get a little bit interesting. But I think Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome are both in my top seven. Cam Johnson of UNC is in my top seven. And Kerry Blackshear Jr. of Virginia Tech is on that list as well. So I can only squeeze you know, seven guys into five slots. Cam Johnson's going to get one of those. So I still have time to think about it. And, of course, there's still games to be played. But in all likelihood, mine will go two Duke guys with Williamson and Barrett two Virginia guys with Hunter, and then either Kyle Guy or Ty Jerome, and then one Carolina guy with Cam Johnson with uh, a Kerry Blackshear leading my second team All-ACC. Good stuff. DG, good stuff with John Curry earlier today. Again, congrats on the breaking news that you can find on theathletic.com. Speaking of all this All-ACC stuff, you can find our 1 through 15 rankings each and every week for the ACC season with only one week left to go. This is the time to check at accsports.com. You can find that there. DG, next week we'll be hanging out in Charlotte. Appreciate you being here. I'm excited about that, Josh. Always good to be with I'll you. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, DG. It'll be my first ACC tournament. I grew up in this state. I've never been to the tournament. Now you're making me feel old. My <laughs> first tournament was, I think, 1988. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Sorry I'll about that. I'll take good care of you down there. Right. I know my way around. Thanks so much. All right, buddy. See you. That's David Glenn on Twitter at David Glenn Show.